What a great time of worship together. It's always a blessing as a pastor, as a communicator, as a preacher, to be able to communicate, to speak, to share God's word after an amazing time of worship that just opens our hearts to who God is, the great I am, the God that has no past, that doesn't know a future, that is always in the present. He is always, he always has been, he always will be, God is, he is the great I am. I pray today that your heart is open to hear what God has to say to you. We are beginning a brand new series called One Anothering, and so I'm excited to begin a new series. Whenever we we, uh, start a new series, it's a chance to take several weeks to really dive into a topic to help us really go deeper, and ultimately, not just to learn more, but to be called to action so that God would stir in us and move in us. Well, I want to begin by sharing uh, some good news that you all know and, and some, some bad news that we need to be made aware of that helps us understand what's happening here. So the good news is, no surprise, uh, we are over the pandemic, right? I mean, we've known that for a few weeks and months, right? We're, we're through that. That was a difficult time. There was a lot going on all throughout our world, something we'll never forget. It changed, um, probably changed us, changed our culture and our world maybe in more ways than, than we even still know. But we survived and we've come through it, and, uh, and that's been declared over. But earlier this summer, the Surgeon General of the United States, who's the top doctor in our, in our country, said, we have a problem, though, that we have another um, epidemic that's happening in the United States. There's an epidemic that, that they issued uh, an advisory for, and the cause of this epidemic is creating a lot of, lot of difficult challenges physically and mentally as well. For example, within this, uh, in this new epi- uh, epidemic, what the Surgeon General says is this, we've got 29% increased risk of heart disease. 32% increased risk of stroke, a 50% increased risk of developing dementia, a 60% increased risk of premature death, a 100% increased risk of depression. I'm surprised this hasn't made the news in a bigger way, right? This is a release in May from the Department of Health and Human Services. I mean, would you like to know there's, uh, what the cause of this is, right? Here's the cause. Loneliness and isolation. We think it's just maybe, oh, I don't have some friends, I don't know some people, but this cause of loneliness and isolation hits us at such a deep level, it has devastating effects on our physical health and on our mental health. And I would add to that on our spiritual health. That when we are isolated, when we are lonely, when we are disconnected, it begins to affect us and impact us spiritually in the way that it begins to disconnect us from community, that we begin to, to fade in our own faith, that, that all of a sudden we feel isolated, we feel alone, and it breaks our relationship even with our Heavenly Father. There is a need for us to stay connected, to be in community. Now, the Surgeon General also said, that here's the good news, that there's a, there's, there's a cure, and he says this, our relationships are a source of healing and well-being hiding in plain sight, one that can help us live healthier, more fulfilled, and productive lives. Obviously not a surprise. Relationships make a difference. If loneliness and isolation is the issue, obviously relationships make the difference. Then why are we struggling so much with relationships? The top doc says we have to cult- cultivate a culture of connection. Do you realize we are more digitally connected than ever before? But the problem is we are also way more socially disengaged than ever before. Right? I mean, we have way more friends on, and social media apps and ways that we can connect and communicate, and there are ways, of course, that that helps us connect and relate. But the irony is the more that we have been able to get more digitally connected, why does it feel like in interpersonal social relationships we are becoming more and more disengaged as a society? Do you see that? 
Do you perceive that? And it feels, we have this illusion that we are more connected, but what's happening is, why is loneliness continuing to increase? And what's happening is, it's literally killing us. Social isolation, loneliness, disconnecting from others, just spending too much time on our devices, being separated from other people has had devastating and is having devastating effects. So over 30 years, a study comparing 1990 to 2021, comparing similar data, so fairly recently, talked about close friends like this. And so we have a chart here. And what this chart tells us in, in, in basic ways is if you look on the right end, the number of friendships that we have is decreasing. So we have less friends. But what's even more concerning is on the left side, those that have no friends is increasing. More than a tenth of people say they have no close friends at all. And so we're seeing it statistically bearing out that, that we're in an age where maybe you could say too it's not bad that we don't have tons of friends and it's good that we're having maybe a few closer friends. But in reality, we're seeing less and less friendships. We're working more. We're spending longer hours. Parents, and this is a good thing, are spending more time with kids when they're in the home. Uh, we're, we're traveling more for work. We're more mobile. And that's beginning to disconnect us. And this, again, these stats were just uh, right around the pandemic. But this was already happening prior to that. But we look at this, and we look at the, these effects, and we look at the situation. And I, guess, I just got to say, God's not surprised. <laughs> He's not surprised that we're in this situation because God did not create us to do life alone, did he? It was not part of his creation. It's not how we're designed. It's not how we're hardwired. From the very dawn of creation, from the first days of creation, flip over, open into Genesis, right, and there's all these good things that God is creating. But he's only been creating for a few days, and what does he say is not good? Yes, for man to be alone. That's the first thing is not good. And so he addressed that situation. He created this family bond, this family unit to create the foundation of husband and wife and marriage together in this relationship to begin and to be in relationship. But then it says that we are also created in God's image. Does that mean we look like God? The Bible never explains does. What does it mean to be created in his image? But some might say, and maybe you look at that and saying, is the image of God to be in relationship? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, that even the God had the Trinity as we understand God is in relationship and that God created us in his image to also be in relationship with one another. So, so this, is, this is key, that we connect with others. We weren't meant to be alone. What's one of the harshest penalties that you can receive in prison? <laughs> Solitary confinement isolation, when you've done everything, when you've taken everything, all the rights, all the freedoms away, and they have to think, what's one other level that we can take it to? It's isolating us because it has devastating effects. We need each other. So now I want you to do something with me. I want you to turn to a neighbor, and because I'm not in the audience, I can ask this. I hate when people, speakers ask that, so, uh, but I'm up here, so now you got to do it. I just need you to turn to somebody next to you and, you, and you say to them, you need me. Go ahead. Just tell them. Tell them, you need me. Now say, you need me. All right. That came way too easy for you guys. <laughs> now I want you to say something else. I want you to turn those same people and need to say, I need you. You guys weren't quite as excited. I could hear the, if, I, if there was like a decibel meter in the room, I could see the volume was just not quite as enthusiastic when you said, I need you. You were all about like, yeah, you need me. You need me. I, I guess I need you. I mean, there's something about that, right? Like it's hard to say I need somebody else. 
We think we're, we ought to be needed, but we need each other. And that's how God created us, to need one another. And that's why today we're beginning this new series, One Anothering. Embracing authentic community. How do we embrace this authentic, Christ-centered community? In the Bible, there are about 60 one another passages. And so today we're kicking off a 60-week series covering every one of the... No. Um, we're, we're just going to look at about five of these over the next few weeks. We're going to group them together so we have some of these one another's. But there are so many passages. And you wonder, why are there so many one another passages? These passages are about how to love and be with and care for one another. What are, if, if you're familiar with some, maybe shout out a couple of one another, like what the Bible tells us to do as one another. What are some of these passages? Love one another. What else? Serve. Pray with one another. Forgive, do not neglect gathering together. Okay, you guys are good. We can go home. <laughs> good students. We are done here today. Um, but there are so many passages that talk about how do we live together because it's hard to live in Christ-centered community. It really is. It's one thing just like to, to begin in any relationship, to go deeper, to go stronger, to build those bonds. After that initial joy wears off and the real life hits, we need to learn how to live together. And so these letters in the New Testament and what Jesus is saying is all about how do we live as a community. And so we're going to spend some time over these next several weeks figuring out what does it mean for us to be in community together. But when I look at the church and I think about us, and we're going to be focusing more on the community of believers, those that come together as the church. That's what we're focusing on in these next couple weeks. And here's what I think is the problem, and many of you have probably heard this before, but I think it's so important to address. The problem is this. We think in terms of going to church, not being the church. Right now, in English, we only have one word, church, and this physical building is a church, and, and yet the church is not just this building. We think so much in terms of going to church. In the, in the Bible, the, the word that's translated church is ekklesia. It's the original Greek, and it, it means the called-out people, the called-out assembly of people. It never refers to a building. It never refers to a place. It never refers to an event. It always refers to a people. And so when you go to church, when you have this idea of going to church, we think in terms of a building, right? A physical place, a space. And so we go to church. We go here to Meadow Park Church here in Columbus on Bethel Road, 2425 Bethel Road. That's church. And so, of course, we all went to church this morning. We're all here today. We're going to church, but we think in terms of this place and this space, or we're going to a worship service, or we're going to a youth night, or we're going to an event. And that's not what the church was meant to be. It's, we think of programs and events, but that's not what it is. And when it's going to church, it's very easy for us to think in terms of an assembly of strangers. Because you just go to church, and you go and you get what church has for you. You get a worship service, you get some teaching, you, uh, you know, you, you get, maybe you go home, you feel spiritually renewed or something that you've worked with, and you can leave. You can leave the church behind when you go to church. But when you are the church, it's very different. And, and so we have this, I remember growing up, and, and maybe you've seen this too, right? It's like, this is the church, this is the steeple, open the doors, and there's all the people, right? So even as a kid, it's sometimes we've got taught, like, this is the church, it's this building, and there's a steeple, and, and if you want to find the people of God, you got to go to the church, and so we go to church, but, but it's deeper than that. It's not just about going to church, because if you go to church, you can also just leave the church, and you aren't the church. The church stays where it is. But when you are the church, things begin to look very different. You're not me-focused, you're, you're we-focused. I'm coming to something saying, how do I connect with others? How do I become a part of this body? And, and you realize that it's a connection with people. You can't do church alone. 
It's impossible to be the church alone. The church, biblically speaking, is the body of Christ. And so the, what we are called to be part of that body where Christ is the head and we are the different parts of that body all coming together to be that family together. And so when we come together in worship, we understand I'm not just coming to get something, I'm coming to connect with family. When I come on a Sunday morning, why, why come a little earlier. I was complimenting some of the folks here that came early this morning. They come in, they come, they have an opportunity to connect, to talk, to catch up, to see each other, to stay longer afterward, to go out for lunch, to spend some time and realize we are a community together and that we are the church, that I am the church. There was another kid's song that counteracted this little thing about the building, even though it talked about people. It was a song I remember in, in the kids' program, it was maybe five, six, seven years old, and it was, I am the church, you are the church, we are the church together. Some of you else remember it, right? Who's the church? I am the church, you are the church, we are the church together. And this simple little song it sticks with me, with me. It's not just the building. It's about who we are when we come together. We are the church together, and every one of us is a vital and a necessary part and when you begin to see it that way, your presence matters with other believers. But you are also the church when you leave this place, not just when you are behind and in, in, in these doors. And so we want to really understand this difference of not just going to church, but what does it mean to be the church? And so over the series, as we talk about these, these one another's, my goal is for you to understand your vital importance to be in relationship in Christ-centered community. That it's not just about an individual faith and doing my thing and coming and receiving, but being a part of a community, a family, a body. And understanding the difference that that makes in your life instead of being disconnected and disengaged. And you're going to see incredible benefits from that. It's also a season where some of our uh, life groups that Kyle was talking about earlier, they, we, we kick them off again here after summer, late August, early September. And we want to have some foundations for the connections between our groups. How do we relate with one another? And for you who are maybe looking to find more ways to connect to say, how can I experience this kind of community? So that's what we're going to be looking at. And so today, we're going to start with, um, with, with our first one another. You ready to jump in? All right, we're going to go with the most common, most often repeated. It was the first one you guys mentioned. Uh, it's love one another. I think if there's ever a foundation, right, to begin this talk of how are we community, how are we family, it's talking about loving one another. It sounds very easy, it sounds obvious, but it's harder than it seems, isn't it? It can be a challenge. And so we're going to talk about that. Let's pray, and then we'll jump into loving one another. Heavenly Father, it is uh, so good to be in this place, to look out and to see familiar faces, to see new faces, those that are coming together to be the church, God, those joining online, Father, we just pray that over these next several weeks, and especially in these next few minutes, God, that you would open our heart to the people around us, the community that you've created, and God, that you would fill that space and that void. We love you, and we commit ourselves to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So overall, as we talk about loving each other, I want you to remember this key point here. Love moves us closer. Love moves us closer. If there's anything you take away from that today is remembering that love moves us closer. We can't love well from a distance. But whenever you see love, presence, love, love present, love begins to draw us closer. So what's very interesting is whenever you gather, like we see this in, in, in common ways, whenever you gather like in a public space, or let's say you go to a movie theater or you, uh, you know, you're at a venue where you don't have assigned seating, 
Have you ever noticed how strangers seat themselves? If you're a stranger with others, what do you look for? What kind of seats do you look for? <laughs> Empty seats, seats that are about as far away. If there's two people on either end, you're going to space yourself equally distant so you have the maximum distance between people and com- groups that you don't know, right? If somebody comes and sits right down next to you, that's a stranger, that's kind of creepy, right? Because we know there's, there's no relationship there. You're like, what are you doing, right? But when I come to church or I sit here and I see a friend or I see somebody I know, I'll be like, ooh, I saved you a seat, come here. Or in my case, my children will like sit on my lap. They'll be like on top of me, right? Like we can't get close enough as, as family because love brings us closer. Think about it in a, in a relationship. If you think back, maybe you're, you know, you're married and you think back to when you first fell in love or maybe you're looking for love still. When you don't love someone yet, when you just when it begins and you're strangers, ah, they, you catch their, you see them across the room, right? And you just see them, your heart skips a little beat and you go, ooh, oh, I'd like to get to know her. I'd like to get to know him, but ooh, there's this distance. And then your eyes meet at some point. Ooh, there's like a little bit of a closer thing happening. Oh, she looked at me like I looked at her. I did I look too long. You know, what's going on here, right? And then you try to find ways, if there's a desire there and a longing to connect, love just has a magnetism. It begins to pull you closer. If I can just maybe spend some time, maybe just say hi. Oh, I had a conversation, and now we're even closer. We talked about things that are important that matter. That's closer. Oh, we're going to go on a date. Had the courage to get it. Now we're going to spend some time together. And then you're on a date, and we held hands. Ooh, that first time holding hands. Like that first touch, right? That, that, that there's something there. It's different than it was before. And then you're holding hands, and then there's a hug. And then you kiss, right? It's, it's getting closer. It's getting more intimate, getting closer. And, I'm, and, and then at that point, that's where you stop before marriage, people. <laughs> I'm not going to keep going because you keep going. And if it leads to marriage, if it leads to a point where you're willing to commit your life to someone else, to, to one another, then you say, now we have the context. Say, I'm going to commit my life to you. Talk about a bond Talk about being close. And within that relationship now, when you have that kind of commitment and, 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 and foundation, now you say, we can go further. Let's just leave it at that this morning. <laughs> right? That's the context because it's about connection and love, and it brings us closer to greater and greater intimacy. So love moves us closer, and that's true with relationships, with family, with strangers, with others. And so when we look at this um, I want to look at the, one of the key one another passages here. Let's start with our first one another passage to look at love. It's 1 Peter 5.14. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I'm kidding. That's a joke. I mean, it is really that scripture, but it didn't, didn't work. All right, I was hoping it would. That is actually some of the one another's. There are about four of them about how to, to greet each other with a kiss. And while that's not my main verse today, it does talk about a connection. How many of you greeted each other with a holy kiss this morning? All right, now turn to your neighbor. No. <laughs> Now, if you've ever been in, you know, Middle Eastern countries, sometimes even with strangers, you either do the, you know, touch the cheeks and do a little, right, a little air kiss, or you do then cheek, cheek, or sometimes they pull you in, it's like one, two, three, you know, and then I've got relatives and family that is over in the Middle East, but there is a sign of affection. Even there, there's closeness, but that is not the key passage. We're going to look at John 13, so if you have it, John 13, 34, and 35. This is Jesus speaking. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world you are my disciples. So here's Jesus himself saying, this is is what I want for my community. 
that you would love one another. I want to look at three things just in these two verses here that I think help us understand how to love one another and how that works. So the first is this. Love is not optional. A new what am I giving you? A choice? If you feel like it? No, a new commandment. Now, we think that doesn't go together. A command and love. Shouldn't it just be like... If you feel like it, shouldn't love just only be... No, it's a commandment. You must love one another. You have no choice. Even the unlovable among you, even the unlovable among us, the parts that we don't like, we must love one another. Now, there is a little bit of a loophole here. I'll just give it to you. It never said you have to like each other. I never saw that one anywhere in Scripture. (laughs) Because, I mean, come on, we all, we all know what that's like, right? Maybe you, do, you can't really like someone. Like, they're really hard to like, but I love them. I got to love them. Sometimes it's hard, but love overcomes those things. And love says, even though I have a barrier, even though I have a hard time maybe liking certain things or, or things that I don't maybe agree with or struggle with, but I'm going to love you. And we're going to talk about what that love looks like. But love is not optional. And so we must love. And so instead of sometimes genuine loving, what we like to do in the church is we like to fake love. We like to pretend to love. We come to church and we put our plastic smiles on. And how are you doing? Everything's great. Things are good. Everything's good. I love you, brother. Love you. Come on, it happens. And it happened back in Rome. And Paul is writing to the Romans and he says to them, do not just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with what? Genuine affection. And take delight in honoring each other. We don't just want to pretend. It's easy to pretend when you just go to church. It's a lot harder to pretend when you are the church, when you are in community, when you are in relationship, because then your life gets lived together. What would it look like, not just to pretend to love, but to really love? What would that look like? Would it take maybe a couple extra minutes to take some time to get to know somebody, to notice somebody who's maybe not connecting as well or maybe is isolated and you're saying, I'm going to step out. I'm going I'm to engage that person. I'm going to show some love. I'm going to demonstrate that. I'm going to take a few moments to have a, a conversation that gets beyond, hi, how's the weather? But what's really going on? Sharing a little bit more of your story. Maybe genuine love looks like going out for lunch afterward and saying, you know what, we've never really connected before. How about we grab lunch together? How about we grab a coffee? Let's go t- play around a golf. But really connecting, really hearing each other, that is what genuine love begins to look like. And we are known, and others begin to know us. Here's a little formula. Love equals time plus attention. Time and attention. See, this is the way that love moves us closer, when we spend time and attention. Some some. You know, people might say, you know, I've given my kids everything. I gave them a great home. I gave them great education. I gave them, you know, cars and toys and anything they could possibly want. Why are they still not happy? Because they want you. (laughs) There's no substitute for you. There's no substitute for time. There's no substitute for attention. And sometimes, guilty, my phone gets more attention than my children. But what they want and what they long for in people close to us is focus I see you. The phone is down. It's put away. I'm locked in on you. You matter. You're important to me. I see you. What's going on? Tell me. Let's let's go for a walk. Let's go and grab some time together and hang out. Time and attention is so critical. So the first thing is, listen, love is not optional. So we don't have that choice. So you, congratulations, you just now are forced to love everyone here, okay? Can you do that today? But let's do it with genuine affection, (laughs) It's a command because 
When we act in a loving manner, you know what begins to happen? Love begins to take place. If we wait for it, it may never come. But we need to initiate. We need to do what loving, what loving does. And Jesus says, love one another. But he didn't just say love one another. This is the second point. Jesus said, he's our example. Jesus is our example. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. So no problem. Just love like Jesus did. So easy. <laughs> right? It's not easy. It's hard. But Jesus said, I'm not asking you to do something I haven't done. I want to demonstrate for you this kind of love. And so we look at this verse. Do you know the context in which Jesus spoke these very verses about loving each other? If we look at the beginning of chapter 13, where we read this, it's in the context of the Last Supper. And so here's what we read in John 13. If we look at the context, it says this. Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour um, had come to leave the world and return to the Father. So just for a moment here, he's realizing it's about to be over. His time on earth is about to be done. This is the last opportunity with his disciples. And so that's going to be critically important. What does he leave them with? What's the image? What's the impression that he leaves there? And so he goes on and he says, or it says, he had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. But it also says in our Bibles that it could also be translated as he showed them the full extent of his love. So he's coming to the end, now he's going to say, okay, I've got this one opportunity, to lo I've loved them the whole time, and now I want to demonstrate to them something. And so critical, and so he was sitting at the table with his disciples, and he gets up from the table, and he takes off his outer robe, and he goes over, and he grabs a towel, and then he uh, walks over to the door where all the disciples came in, and there was, a, there was a bowl of water there. And he goes over, and he, he grabs the bowl of water, and he comes back, and he gets in front of his disciples, and he sets it down. He asks for their feet. He says, come on, let me, I'm going to wash your feet. That bowl and, and the towel and this act, that was reserved for servants to do. Maybe even, you know, the, you know, the, the, the people coming in themselves, but, but not the master, not the head, not Jesus especially, not God himself. And Jesus takes this bowl and says, let me wash your feet. And he begins to wash the dirt. Remember, they wore sandals, they walked on dusty roads, there weren't paved paths. And so if you're going to come into a home and you're going to have clean feet, and so Jesus took on this lowly role and he, and he began to wash their feet. And after he washes their feet, we read this, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you, he asked them? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. But now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you, what? An example. An example that you should do as I have done for you. So this is the context in which Jesus is talking about this command to love each other and to do it as Jesus said that I've loved you, now you do the same. And he's showing them and he's demonstrating by this act of washing their feet. And so what is this example? Love humbles itself. Love humbles itself. Love is willing to get down. Love is willing to get into these places and to say, you know what, I'm going to leave my status, my position, my socioeconomic achievements, my education, my degrees, my office, whatever I have, my race, I leave those things apart and I say, you know what, I am humbling myself. None of that matters. We are equals in this place. And I, no one is too great, no one is too low to serve another person. And Jesus modeled that and demonstrated that, that he was willing to humble himself. Love humbles itself. Love gets low. Love serves. 
Love sees the needs of somebody around and says, I'm willing to inconvenience myself. Do you know that whenever you serve someone else, you're inconveniencing yourself, right? You could be doing something for yourself. You could be on the couch. You could be chilling out. Serving calls you out of yourself. It calls you to give to someone else. And so Jesus set that example of serving, washing their feet. But what I think is so powerful, and we're talking about love moving closer, right? What does Jesus do? He touches the feet, the grime, the dirt, the parts that we'd rather not deal with. He's willing to get in there. He's not afraid to get close where others back away. And that's Jesus willing to enter into the, those parts in our lives that we want to keep hidden, those things that, that we don't want anyone to see, the parts in our lives that we consider dirty. We go, Jesus, you probably wouldn't want to have anything to do with that. And he says, no, that's exactly what I want to have something to do with because I can make you clean. On your own, you won't be, and I will do that for you. And he's saying that's an example he set for us. To not be afraid, oh, they live a certain lifestyle that I don't agree with, or they do things that I don't agree with, or they talk in a way, or they treat people in a way, whatever it is. That doesn't hold us back. That actually should draw us closer to say, I want to engage. And I'm even willing to touch like Jesus touched. Jesus moved closer. And as we see in that meal, as he ultimately then pours out the cup and the bread and says, this is my body and my blood spilled out for you, broken for you, Jesus is willing to give all of himself to the very end. He sets this example. So when we look and say, what is real love? What do you look to? The bachelorette? That's real love. That's how you do it. You date 20 people. You go far with all of them. You backbite. And in the end, will you marry me? What crap. That word is not strong enough. And this is held up as love. Where do we look for love? What's the example? Where do we see real love? Well, let's look at 1 John 3.16 for real love. Not John 3.16, which also demonstrates real love. But 1 John 3.16-18. to 18. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. If someone has enough money, it gets really practical now, to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. We know what real love is because Jesus demonstrated it. He didn't just talk about it. He didn't just go, here, write this down. See you later. Do that. He went to the cross. He got down on his knees. He washed feet. He set that example and said, so just do it. Serve. Prove it by your actions. And that leads us to our third point here. Love is our calling card. In that verse we began with that Jesus said, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. He wants proof. He doesn't want a room full of people that talk about love, that have the greatest love, that talk about Jesus. They want, Jesus is saying, you need to show it. You need to do it. And that proof is the evidence. That's going to be our brand. Nobody else should have the brand of love except the church. That is our brand. That is what our creator did. That is our identity. That is who we are. We ought to be known by that. That that is true love. And this emphasis here, while we are to love all in the world, and we preach and teach plenty on that, it begins right here. It begins within the body of the church. Galatians chapter 6. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone. 
But he says this, especially to those in the family of faith. We can do all the good out there, but if we're not doing that good amongst each other, if we are not loving amongst each other, if we are not caring for each other, what kind of evidence, what kind of witness is that to the community? Love is our calling card. The church ought to be looking at us and saying, look at them, look how they love. It's unbelievable. I've never seen a more diverse group of people that loves each other, that cares for each other, that come from different backgrounds. It's unbelievable. Why? What kind of love is that? I want to be part of that kind of community. They must be Christians. Look how they love. Sadly, I don't know that that's what we're hearing in the world today. Sometimes it's true, but sometimes it's not true. It's unfounded, but we got to demonstrate it. we got to live it. It's got to be the proof. The church is a community of people that loves each other like Jesus loves. So what do our friends and neighbors see when they look at how we love each other in Meadow Park? What do we see? Maybe we have some first-time visitors here today. What did you guys see? You know, don't speak out right now. Um, <laughs> did you see a body of people that looked like they genuinely love each other? You know what? It's not about the program. You see that in the lobby. You see that in the parking lot. You see that before and after service. That's where you see genuine love. What do you see? What does the world see when they look at us, when, you, when they hear you talking about your family, your church? And you go, man, oh, that place, those people. Oh, God love them. Some of them are hard to love, but I love them. But you know what? They're my community. They're my family. You should see the way they've cared for me, and I have opportunity to care for others, right? That is, what does the world see? I think a couple of our, something you may not be aware of is a program in our church called Home Buddies, something that was developed in the past year or so and, uh, by, by a member of our congregation, uh, Vicki Martin, together with Diane, and realizing there are, are people in our congregation that can't be physically present. They can't go to church. And these home buddies say, we're going to be the church. And these 24 recipients, again, can't make it to church, whether, you know, for a long period of time or maybe just for a shorter period of time. But members in our congregation say, I want to engage with them. I want to go to them. I want to visit them. We'll write them a card. We'll connect with them regularly. And it's making such a difference about being the church. And, and, and one person that just began this relationship went into a home that I heard about, and, and this person was having this meeting and started getting out one photo album and started going through the photo album. And then a second photo album. And then a third photo album. Because it's about connecting and sharing a story and the hunger and the desire to be a part of that. And that is vital, important ministry and connection. We have life groups in our church that meet together on a regular basis. We have 15 plus groups. We've got three, new, three more new groups that are starting this fall. And I hope we have even more because we want to see every person connected in a way with 5 to 10 to 15 other people out of the crowd that's saying, I know them. I'm connected to them. I, I, I know what's going on. They know me. We're in relationship. We're in community, and we're learning what that means to be together. What does the world see? What do you see when you look and think about your church? Is it a worshiping body of strangers, or is it a community? Love one another. It's not optional. It's exemplified by Jesus, and it's proven by our action. So I come back to this. Love moves us closer. We're either walking toward one another growing in love, or we're backing away. Do you know, in all my years of ministry, I've never met anyone that said, you know, um, I really started growing in my faith and my love for Jesus and other people when I started going to church less often. That's when I really began my relationship with Jesus. You know, I, 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 that's when I really began to grow in the Word, when I spent less time with other people talking about it. I really got to know people more and felt more a part of the body. And yet, what we've seen is we pull back when life gets hard, 
When we get busy, we retreat instead of lean in. When we sin, when we're dealing with addiction, when we're embarrassed, when we're ashamed, we retreat instead of leaning in and taking a step closer. God isn't the one who's pushing us away, and the community of the church shouldn't be the one pushing us away. It ought to say, that's exactly when you need to step in. That's exactly when you need to lean in closer because that's when we grow. That's when we experience the love and the connection and the community. And so I ask you this question today. Are you moving closer or farther away from Christ-centered community? That's it. Which, which, which way are you moving? Or are you stuck? Are you going to take a step closer? Take the risk. Take the effort. Make the connection. Watch what happens. Or are you starting to find yourself taking steps back? And it might be imperceptible at first. It doesn't feel a whole lot different. You know, I'll just catch a little bit more online. I'm going to become a CEO Christian. You know CEO Christians? Christmas Easter only. <laughs> right? I mean, it's a good start. It's great if you start there. If you start as a CEO Christian, we applaud that. That's awesome. Take a step closer. But again, it's not just about attending. It's about engaging in community. How are you doing that? And I think you can take real steps today. My challenge is this. Take a step closer. Take a step closer. Stay a little bit longer after church. That's why we've got name tags today. You might say to somebody, you know, I've been here for 15 years. I can never remember your name. I'm so glad you have a name tag. Maybe you don't want to admit that, but just look at their name real quick and pretend like you've known them all along. But then get genuine, right? Take some time. Maybe if you're newer here, we're so glad you're here. We know it's going to take time. It's maybe you're just checking out this place, and, and there is a process to getting closer. But what's the next step? Just to begin, maybe you come by our next steps area and say, you know what, I'll at least uh, get a cool free gift and, and uh, you know, meet a couple people, and we'll see about this place as it moves along. But where are you in that journey? Take a step closer today. Maybe invite somebody out for lunch after church and get a little closer, or say, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to commit to a life group this fall, or I'm going to try it, I'm going to see, get together every week or maybe every other week, and watch what begins to happen as you experience community. Imagine us as a church, together, collectively, taking a step closer. What happens when a whole group of people takes a step in? <sighs> right? Now imagine the whole church taking a big step backward. Right? What do we want to do? What happens when we collectively take a step closer and we look at these one another's and saying, I want to experience that kind of community. It's not only just good for my physical and mental health, it is what I need spiritually. It's what I need because like Kyle said and like we love to say around here, you never know how much you need community until you need community. Invest in it now. Invest in that love that God has for you. As we close, I just want you to think about what step are you going to take? What is your next step to lean in closer into community? Take that step. And I just want you to bow your heads as we're going to pray. But I also want to ask you this. Maybe today you're realizing I'm not even part of the, I'm attending Meadow Park, but I'm not part of the body of Christ. I've not received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. He loves me. He's given his life for me. I've just continued to, to stand back. I've been afraid to take that step across that line of faith to say, Jesus, I am all in. I'm done. I want that kind of love that loves me, warts and all, dirt and all, that forgives me, that showed that that love would walk closer to us. I want to walk closer and lean into that. That's when true life begins. That relationship is foundation, and that's what connects you to the church, not the physical building, not the worship. That's great. But to really be part of the spiritual body of the church is to become a follower of Jesus and saying, Lord, here's my life. I surrender it all. That's the first example of humility we all demonstrate saying, I need Jesus. 
and I need his life to give me life. Maybe that's your step. It's the biggest step you can ever take and the one that you will never regret. Let's bow our heads. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you that love moved closer, that you are the demonstration of what real love looks like. Father, we get so self-focused, self-conscious, selfish, and we end up pulling away from others. We get comfortable, we get lazy. Father, help us to realize that life isn't found there. Thank you for the beautiful demonstration of getting down on your hands and knees and washing the dirt off our feet, for going to the cross to forgive us our sins, to show love that was all in. And Father, today, if anyone does not know the peace and the joy and the hope that comes from experiencing that kind of love firsthand from you and that forgiveness, Father, today I pray that there would be a surrender to say, Lord, here's my life. I give it to you. I give you all my sins. Wash me clean. Thank you for dying on that cross for my sins and for giving me a new life. I give you mine. And Father, as a church community over these weeks, would you help us all to take a collective step closer wherever we are, to experience deeper relationships and connection and just the spiritual growth and life that comes with that. We give ourselves to you, God, and we just pray that as we bathe in your love and as we experience your love, God, that it would just call us to a new life to live that out. And when the world looks at us, when the world sees Meadow Park Church, go, man, look how they love each other. God, it would be the greatest testimony and witness to your love in our lives. May we become alive in you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.